I'm Susanna Fennell. I know some of you, some of you I don't know. And um, I just, I, uh, Matt emailed me on Friday and asked me to do the greeting. And um, those of you that know me know I like to tell stories. I'm not going to tell a really long one, but I just have to tell you how cool our God is. So Mother's Day is a hard day for me. Don't have my own children. Don't have a close relationship with my own mother. And um, so church is a place I avoid a lot. Oftentimes on Mother's Day and I'm driving. to My husband said I can't not come today. I had to come because <laughs> I like to not come on Mother's Day. And I'm driving to work. This is where I have it out with God almost every day about what's going on in life. Give him, tell him all my nonsense. And he told me on the way to work that he had a purpose for me today. And I got to work and Matt had emailed me. So anyway, I don't know what the purpose of all that is, but we have a cool God who sees our hurt, who sees our sorrow. And I have a lot of spiritual mothers in my life. And one of my spiritual moms once, she always says this to me, do you really understand how much God loves you? And I say, yes. And she says, no, you, actually you don't. Because if you did, you wouldn't be acting like this. And uh, you wouldn't be caring about this so much. So I don't know who needs to hear that today, but we have a God who created mothers, who created people who wanted to be mothers that didn't get to be mothers. We have a God who created mothers who have lost children. We have, a, And he loves us so, so, so much. I don't get it. I can't wait till the day where I do get it. But here's a scripture that I'm going to share with you that has always brought me great joy about how much God loves us. And we only love, we can only love our kids, we can only love each other because of his love for us. But it's in Zephaniah, and it's 317. I have to put on my glasses because I can't see it all. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. This is my favorite part. He will exalt over you with loud singing. He loves you. He sings over you with great joy. So with that being said, I'm going to pray for our message, pray for our time together, and happy Mother's Day to all the moms, all the moms that want to be moms, all the, all the things, <laughs> and go Blazers. So, <laughs> Father God, we thank you so much that you first loved us, that you love us so much that you, um, you delight over us, you sing over us, you think we are awesome even when we're not. I don't get it. And I just thank you that that is the truth. I thank you that you are the truth. I pray for today's message. I pray that we would be able to learn to live by the Spirit and through the Spirit. And that we just wait expectantly till the day that Jesus returns. And in that time that we are bringing you joy and bringing you delight as we serve and reach the world around us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning from Sherwood. My name is Rick Vogt, and uh, some of us know each other, and a lot of us don't, so you'll get to know me a little bit. I'm sorry I won't get to know you very much this morning, but I do want to invite you into uh, a conversation today. I want to ask you to help me talk with you and not talk at you. I want to engage you as much as possible, so whatever that means for you, uh, I would just love for us to connect as, as God connects us. As you know, uh, all of the lead pastors from all of the Colossae churches are circulating for the next five weeks, talking about our six values as a community of churches together. I don't know, would you consider us your cousins or your brothers and sisters in Sherwood? Just curious, what would you say? Brothers and sisters. Okay, we'll go with that. I think we can go with that. Yeah, I mean, cousins are good too. Cousins have a bad rap that I think we should redeem. In fact, in, in Spanish, it's primos, right? 
I mean, that sounds like that's primo, right? That, that's the best. Hey, Dan, would I do better with the handheld mic? Okay, thank you. Thank you. All right. So we are looking at these six values. Um, Matt did an amazing job of kicking this up a couple weeks ago. How many of you have heard Matt's message from a couple weeks ago? There was the podcast. Great. Okay, so you heard what he talked about. These six values that we, as a group of congregations in one church called Colossae, have said these are really important in our time and in our culture. They're biblical. They're the kinds of things Jesus modeled. And we believe that in the present day where we live and work and play and serve these are things we want to go after. They're certainly not new to you, so I really don't want to talk to you as if you've never heard these ideas before. I want to talk to you as if, yeah, I, I've been around and I, I know some of these things. But I'm also hoping as we talk about it, we can refresh what we think. And most of all, I'm hoping we can refresh how we practice these values. So let's talk a little bit about community. Here we go. Let's jump right into the scriptures. <clears throat> Everything begins in Genesis, right? I think you can start every sermon in Genesis, and that's what I'm going to do. So here we go, Genesis 1, 26 and 27. <clears throat> A part of what the scriptures say is, Then God said, Let us make man or human in our image <clears throat> after our likeness. It's so curious that he said, Let us <clears throat> make man in our image and after our likeness. What's he saying already? He's already proclaiming the fact that God himself is not a single individual, but God himself is community. So this is actually who God is. This isn't that royal us, you know, the king of England might say, we are not pleased, and he's just talking about himself. He's just saying, I'm not pleased, but I'm royalty, I'm the king, so we are not pleased, kind of making more of himself. That's not what God said here. He said, we, because we know, after 300 years of talking about it as the church since the scriptures were written, that God is actually three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It doesn't actually say Trinity anywhere in the scriptures, but we've come to understand that as a church throughout the centuries. So God is community. Community is who God is. God already, before he created us, had this sense of togetherness and teamwork and partnership that God is not alone. So then we go to uh, verse 27, and it says this about what God did. After he said, let us make humankind in our image, it says that he did. It says God created man or human in his own image. In the image of God, them, he created him, male and female, he created them. So God chose not just to duplicate his character and his mind and his will and his emotions but he chose to duplicate this reality of more than one. From the very beginning, he created them, male and female. And just as God is <clears throat> resident in three people who have a sense of differentness and yet sameness, they're the same and they belong together, and yet they each have unique roles that they play within the Godhead, he created us male and female to be uniquely different and to really only be complete when we are together. And I really want to encourage you this morning, don't think of just one man and one woman. This isn't just thoughts on marriage. This is humanity at large. And so think of it as us. So in uh, the next verse, in chapter 2, verse 8, he says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man or human should be alone. I will make him 
a helper fit for him. And again, this isn't just about men and women, but this is about humanity. It's not good for a person to be alone. Therefore, I will make another person so that these two can be together. And then again, the command is be fruitful, multiply, make more persons. And God's goal wasn't just a man and a woman, but it was community, it was humanity. And so we all know what this is like. Whatever we've chosen, whether we have roommates, we're married and have a spouse, or we're a child in a family, we need each other. We were created to not be by ourselves. We were created to be with others, much more than marriage. We were created to be with each other in community. It's just who we are as it is who God is. So we have this second conclusion. Community is who we are. Now, I'll give in to you introverts that you may want the community to be small. But you don't want the community to just be you, right? Anybody want to be a community of one? Now, I'll give you this as well. Life can beat us up, and we may get to a place where we were like, I think I might be better off by myself. It might be safer to be alone. But I would say to you, that's certainly not God's heart. And he would say, no, ah, he wants so much for us to be safe in community. And this is really the beauty and the power of the church. This is who we are to be. We're to be a place where those who are broken and have been wounded and who have found it to be unsafe to be with other people would say, I think it might be safe to be with these people. This is one of our our primary functions as the church of Jesus Christ, for you to be individuals and families and roommates and a church that are safe for humanity, where they can reclaim this idea of, yeah, I actually don't want to be by myself. Is there a safe place to be with others? And that's what Jesus called us to be. He was certainly, I would say, for those whose hearts were soft and open, the safest person on the planet to be with. His first response when people came to him was, what do you need? What can I do for you? Just an extremely hospitable human being. And that's who God has called us to be. So community is who we are. Here's a high motivator for why this is a good idea. In John 15, verses 9 through 11, Jesus said, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. As the Father has been in intimate, close, loving community with me, I have created community with you. Abide in that love. Abide in that experience of community. If you keep my commandments, if you keep my directives, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, purpose, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus is reiterating that I and the Father and the Spirit have community and the essence, the experience of that community is summed up in a single word, love. That's what the atmosphere among the community of the Trinity is. It's love. And he said, now I've been with you and I've created this community of disciples, 12 immediate, but actually a community larger, probably 50 or 100 men and women together. And he's created the same community of intimacy. And he says, I invite you into what I and the Father and the Spirit experience, a community of love. This is my command. In fact, this is the main thing you have to do, disciples. Church is to live together in love. This is my commandment, and here's why. That my joy, I'm Jesus. I'm pretty excited about the Father and the Spirit. I love the life I lead, right? These are not typical Jesus words. I'm paraphrasing, but (laughs) 
I would say Jesus would say he loves his life. For all the ups and downs that, that happened while he was human, he loved his life. And he still continues to love life. And he says, I want that for you. I want you to love life. I want you to be full of joy. Joy is the human disposition that we were created to have as a default. I would ask you this morning, but I, I wouldn't want you to have to share with everyone. Today, and maybe in this season of life, as summer begins in, in 2019, what's the general disposition of your soul? Are you in a season of confusion? Or ease? Or anxiety? Or joy? Or fear? So many options, but Jesus is saying... The default, the constant, what I want you generally to be experiencing is joy. That's what humans were made for. They were made for joy. And that not only a little bit, but the verse ends that your joy may be full. Later in 1 John, a book that John wrote much later as he was kind of getting to the end of life, he said, that which we, the disciples, have seen and heard, we now proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship, community with us. And indeed, our community is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Paul is saying that his purpose for life was to invite other humans into the joy-filled life that was his. John had found joy in relationship with Jesus, with the Father, and with the Holy Spirit. He had found joy eventually with Peter and with Andrew and with the other disciples and with Junia and all, Chloe, all these wonderful people. And his mission in life was to invite others. Hey, we tell you the story so that you might come into the story. We want you to share the story. We want you to be the human you were meant to be, loving to live in community, and generally being in a sense of joy. That should be, again, that's our default as humans. If we're living as we want to, is joy. And then one more passage in the book of Hebrews. And I don't know that we have ever looked at this passage in this light, but I want to take you there. It, the author says, look to Jesus. There's a word missing. Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What do you think the writer means when it says the joy set before Jesus? I ask you honestly, give me some answers. What, what does it mean? What is the joy that Jesus was looking forward to? Reconciliation with, with the Father, yes. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There was some sense of a disconnection that had never happened between father and son. The perfect unity and joy of the Trinity was disrupted. He was looking forward to a reunion with dad. Yeah. Suzanne, what did you say? I said that. I said he was looking forward to being back with his father. Yeah. Main thing, back with dad. Been away from the father for 33 years. Had this moment on the cross that was unknown to Jesus of disconnect from the father so now he gets to go back to be with the Father. And what else, though? What, what other joy would Jesus be able to look forward to? You kind of spoke into it already. Right, right. Humanity. Jesus had been disconnected from humanity for centuries. 
God created us to never be apart from him. He created us to always be in intimacy with him and joy with him, to live the life every one of us could imagine. That was supposed to happen 24-7. You were supposed to wake up every day and go, gosh, what's going to happen today? What's God up to? What am I going to do? Who am I going to hang out with? That was the intent of creation. And it's become so much not that because of brokenness and because of sin. And Jesus knows if I go through this disconnect with the Father, if I lay my life down, I am setting up humanity to come back to what God and I, Father and I, and Spirit intended it to be. Jesus knows he's opening the door to restoration of community and of oneness. That was the joy that was set before him. More relationship and more connection. So we are fulfilled in community. Because we are born in brokenness and disconnection, we spend a lot of our lives trying to find out who we are and where we belong and what we're supposed to do. We start out life disconnected. We start out life away from joy. We start out life not in community, other than perhaps a mother and or a father. And we're always looking for that. Think of middle school. Who were you looking for in middle school to hang out with? Who became your peeps through high school? Who were the ones you resonated with and you loved to hang out with? Maybe it was only one person. Maybe it was a gang or a posse or a clan or something. But you were looking for community. Who do I belong to? Where can I live happily with other humans? That's just who we are, and it's what we were created to be. So philosophically, sounds good, right? Are you guys like, yeah, this is a good plan. I like it. I actually already knew about it. Thank you for reminding me. But what does it look like? And here's the tricky part. So what I've done here is I've gone through the entire New Testament. Paul, in all of his letters to all of the churches, carefully described the experience of community between believers. And the way you look for that is you bookmark it with this phrase, one another. He was always encouraging everyone, all the churches he visited. He said, first of all, love one another. And then he went on, and I found 25 But he went on to say all of these actions, all of these ways of relating, that he would define as love. So this is Paul's idea. So to love each other means to be devoted. It means to, among humans, experience honor and harmony and freedom from condemnation. It means to experience acceptance and instruction. It means to give and receive hospitality, concern, like-mindedness, encouragement, and support. Anybody feeling like, yeah, that's exactly what Facebook is all about? (laughs) No. No. This is countercultural. It's not what's readily available to us by default, right? It also means receiving support and help, kindness and compassion, experiencing worship together, experiencing humans who are cooperating, Forgiveness, interest, affirmation, inspiration, honesty, vulnerability, openness, and prayer. Those are the characteristics of what it means to love one another well. Those are the characteristics of what it means to be community. And I would say to you, it's sad, but I would say that that is the minority of the experience of daily life in America. I would say we kind of have to fight for those. And to offer them is often going to be countercultural. I'm afraid it's going to be mockable. Uh, Every time I talk about giving and receiving, all I can think of was the 
little sermonette that Joey prepared for one of the friend's weddings. And he kept using the words giving and receiving and receiving and giving. That you might receive and you might give. That you might receive and give and give and receive. And that's the mocking. I mean, he's talking about an incredible reality that humans would actually be engaged in a life of truly giving and receiving. And yet for Joey, it it was just laughable. It wasn't what was expected, right? This is what community is. I I don't want to be too hard on friends. There's wonderful aspects of community and friends, but a lot of it's jacked up. A lot of it's not ideal. And we have a generation who doesn't know that. We have a generation who thinks, ah, it was pretty good. They lived together for years, and they were close, and they had some fun and all of that. But to be honest, um, a lot of this was not present there. I want to ask you guys another question. If this is our primary activity as humans created for community, and if community is our joy and our fulfillment, where and with who do we make space for this? Who are your community? Roommates, spouses, family, for sure. Maybe some coworkers. Hopefully there's a sense of community here at Beaverton Colossae, and some of you are in community. And with that in mind, can you say with confidence that this characterizes the majority of our time and our experience? I hope so. I bet it does to some degree. I'm not trying to undermine your experience or suggest that it's less. But I do want to say this one thing. Our culture is not set up for this because it's not very marketable and it's not very consumable. Our culture is set up well to love individualism and narcissism. In fact, let's keep going and take, let's talk a little bit about that. So community is our calling. And then the next slide... What has to die or what will die in us when we fully participate in community? This was a question Chuck asked us to ask all of you. What needs to die in us in order for us to experience the fullness of the value of community? What will die in us when we participate? And I'm going to suggest two things. One is individualism. Again, our consumer culture loves individualism because when individualism is king, Whatever I'm selling, I get to sell a lot of them because every one of us needs our own. Because if I'm an individual, I don't want the same one that you want. I want one a little bit different, so I'm going to get my own. And so individualism is amazing for consumerism. We can sell one to every person in the room. We don't need you guys sharing. We don't need you to have just one iPhone. You need two iPhones. Come on. You're an individual. You need your own time to talk. And consumerism thrives on individualism. And yet, Jesus said through Paul, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Gosh, that's got to be one of the most countercultural statements I can imagine making to America. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And this is spoken to all of us. This isn't gender specific, but this is all people submitting to all people. But think of what submission looks like. When you first try to gather as a community... Let's say that we kind of artificially try to start a community. What happens once you get into the details of making it happen? We have a phrase called the devil is in the details. What does that mean? Which night are we going to meet on? Which night are we going to meet on? Yeah. 
Oh my gosh, that'll kill any group. Because <laughs> invariably, some of the people in the room won't be able to make that night. Yeah, what else happens? How are we going to do a meal? And at what time are we going to do it? Well, we can only do a meal after 7. Oh my gosh, we get home at 5.30 and we put the kids down by 7. We got to do a meal at 5.30. All of these details. And Paul's encouragement here is, I know those things are coming, but we can't be individuals and have community. We have to submit to one another. So we're going to have to flex a little bit. We're going to have to flex our schedules. We're going to have to flex our food preferences. Anybody been in a community that the food was not ideal for you? Yeah, especially if you're gluten-free or dairy-free or vegan, it can be really tough. And if we demand individualism in every aspect, community is just off the table. It's not going to happen. So as we move toward community, individualism is going to have to at least flex, if not die. It's going to have to flex. I certainly don't mean that we stop being individuals, that we stop being diversely who we are. That's a good thing. But actually, we want those to be ingredients in the stew of who we are as a community and not those things that keep us apart and keep us out of community. Then there's one more thing that will die as we we pursue community, and that's narcissism, uh, self-centeredness. Again, Paul says very specifically, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. When I was about 12 years old, I was in a small Baptist church in California, uh, and Sunday mornings were super predictable. Uh, We sang hymns, and I knew how many, and then the preacher would preach, and I knew how many points he would have, and I knew where the poem fit in, kind of knew every aspect. I knew he would sing the benediction. There were even certain people who would be called on to pray, and I would know what they would pray just because of who they were. But Sunday nights, once a month, we would have this open gathering, and I loved it because you got to get up and share different things. And they would literally ask us, what have you been learning from God? And as a 14-year-old who who was a happy little Christian boy, I was like, oh, this is going to be awesome. (laughs) And I remember one particular Sunday that I shared this idea. And I have to be honest with you, in that point in my life, I shared out of selfish ambition and vain conceit. (laughs) I kind of wanted to be seen as a good little Christian boy. And I wanted to be affirmed for godliness, so I have to be honest with you about that. But the Holy Spirit gave me an insight that today is still relevant, and it was this. The idea was, what if all of us were set free from fighting for ourselves and experiencing the life we want to experience, and we all turned our attention to everyone else, and we focused on the fullness and fulfillment of everyone else? How much do the odds go up when there's no longer one fighting for one, but there's a hundred fighting for one? I don't even think I understood what I was saying. I just I thought, this makes sense. It sounds like a good insight. But I would say today that that's exactly what we're talking about, is that by nature we fight for ourselves because we feel like life is scarce and good experiences are hard to come by, and I've just got to kind of grab my own. You know, If I like a certain donut, I have to get here early. Because those donuts go away quickly. And so I kind of need to fight for myself. Imagine that you have a friend who knows the donut you love. They get here early. They grab that donut, and they meet you at the door and go, hey, I know you love these, and I saved this for you. What an experience. That goes from a selfish need for the donut I love to a gift. That becomes a relational bonding piece. Like that jelly donut just got power in it, right? It became a gift of, hey, I love you. I know what you like, and I'm watching out for you. Here you go. 
But this is the call of God, that we would be that kind of a community where we say to, to God, I trust you with what I need. And I'm actually going to submit to you, and I'm going to trust you with what I need too. And I, I'll forgive you for not being good at it because none of us are going to be really good at it right away. But I'm going to trust you and submit to you, and I'm going to take my efforts and my resources, and I'm going to be a giver, and I'm going to, to watch out for you and you and you and offer to you what you need. And the power and beauty of this is the goodness of being human isn't get what we want. The goodness of being human is being given what you want. Getting what you want is product-oriented. Being given what you want is relational. So the commodities are still there. The affirmation, the kindness, the goodness, uh, the hope, those are still the commodities. But instead of grabbing them or buying them, we're just going to give them. We're just going to give them. We're going to trust God for ourselves, and we're going to turn ourselves to giving. I'm seeing smiles, and I'm seeing affirmations, and I'm just like, yeah, I think we're on the same page, right? Yeah, nothing new here, just some new encouragement. So here's where we land. Community is our origin. Our origin is in God, who is community, a God who loves Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And our destiny is in community. And the destiny is not just the community of God. It's the community of humanity. And this is why Jesus came. Jesus basically came because, hey, Father, Son, and I, I mean, Father, Spirit, and I are having an amazing time. We love life, and we love each other, and this love is tremendous. What if we created a bunch more beings, and we gave them what we have? This I give you that your joy may be complete. This is life in a nutshell. And you were created for the experience that Jesus has. And I was created for the experience that Jesus has. And our destiny is this eventual city and heaven and earth where all that we can imagine and everything I've just talked about is actually reality 24-7. This is the destiny that we have in mind. But to get there, there has to be this reconnection to Jesus Christ. And this is basically what we live for. You have that connection. I have that connection. We are in the community of God, the family of God. Many of those that we love or that we serve or that we hang out with don't know that yet. Or maybe they've heard about it, but they don't comprehend it. And all that we are primarily called to do right now in life is, hey, let's invite more people into the hope of humanity, into what we were created for into a destiny that's everything we could imagine of fullness and joy and life shared together in community. This is what we've been called to do. And so, Colossi Beaverton, I'm here today to just remind you of all that good news, remind you of what we've been called to, and really encourage and pray for you to continue as a community to go deeper and to do more of this and to maybe redeem the time. Sometimes it's hard if we get together as Christians for a couple of hours, um, and we stay on the surface. Uh, I've walked away from those times and just in my heart thought, wow, what did I do with those two hours? I was with the heavenly folk. I was with the people who have all the stuff. I was with other people who know what community can be. What did I do? Ah. 
And if you're a community leader, I would really encourage you, how do you foster and encourage that use of time? There's always good use of time and laughter and catching up and talking about the, the amazing blazer win over the Denver Nuggets on Sunday. But, but are you also seizing the time, making the most of every opportunity, and in your community, making sure there's time for encouragement, affirmation, teaching, engaging prayer? Like, not everybody gets to do that day to day, and we do. Let's not miss the opportunity. And I encourage you to look for more opportunities. Uh, where can you even do that with non-believers? I think non-believers would love to be in an environment like that, with all encouragement, affirmation, love, care, concern, interest. So let's, let's keep moving to being the people of God. Let's keep moving to being people who are inviting others into the joy that we were created for. We're going to move to the tables now, and uh, worship team, go ahead and make your way this way. And I just want to remind you as we come to the table, Jesus said, I went through a disconnect from the Father And I suffered something that I actually didn't want to. I even asked my father if I could get out of it. And he said, I'm sorry, son, but you can't. But Jesus said, okay, then because I love you, Father, I'm going to do this. And what he did was make it possible for us to reasonably hope for everything I've talked about this morning. We can experience these kinds of things today. And then one day, we'll we'll experience them constantly and completely. So come to the table saying thank you, Jesus, for giving us back community, for giving us back joy. I receive it, and I praise you for it.